turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 32 this morning. Luke chapter 15. If you're wondering where Luke is, Luke is the third book in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 15 this morning, verses 11 to 32. And this is going to be a powerful message, I believe, for many of you here. So excited to bring this message to you today. Are you guys excited to be here in church this morning? It's great to have you here. Before I read and we read together this passage, I'm just really curious uh, about you guys. I'm really curious about when it comes to your family, uh, what is the order of birth for you in terms of are you the eldest child? Are you the youngest child? Are you the middle child? And so I just thought I'd do, since you guys are a proactive church, I just thought I'd do a quick survey, and not by show of hands, by, by, a, but by a show of shouts. I want to hear uh, you if this is the group that you represent. So can I just hear right now, if you are an eldest child in the house, could you just give, your, give God a big hand this, or a big shout in this place right now? Come on. Okay, okay, that, those are el- older children. Okay, the eldest one, did, did, did you hear? that? That's the sound of responsibility right there, all right? That's the sound of, of anal achievement. That's the sound of nervous maturity. All right, that's what it is, okay? And that, that, that's the elder students or the, the elder children. Okay, let's try, how about if you're a middle child? So in other words, you're not the oldest, you're not the youngest, you're somewhere in between. Let's hear from the middle children right now, come on. Okay, all right, okay, we, we don't have as many middle, middle children here this morning, I think, I take it, or maybe you're just shy, but, but many researchers say that middle children are kind of like the peaceful rebels in the family. Yeah, they, they, they're the ones who want to make peace, but they're a little bit of a rebel themselves, maybe that's you today. Uh, how about this, how about this, if you are the youngest child, can I hear from you right now? Come on, youngest children. <laughs> Why is it that the youngest children are always the loudest? It, 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 without fail, it always is. And I believe it's because research shows that they are like the charming entertainers of the family. And we love you guys. Uh, lastly, uh, is maybe you're an only child in this place. If you're an only child, can I hear from the only children in this place right now? Okay, that's not bad. Okay. Some people say that the only child is kind of a cross between, you know, the eldest, the middle, and the younger. Or some people say that that's just like the eldest child on steroids, one of the two. But, but the fact is that we are so glad, whether you're an oldest child or you're a middle child or you're the youngest child, or you're the only child, God loves you and we love you. Turn your and say, God loves you and we love you too. Now, why am I doing this birth order survey with you guys this morning? It's because today we're looking at the most famous story Jesus ever told. And it's about two brothers. Everyone say two brothers. And I, I, I got to be really frank with you guys this morning. Is that I find that this passage is one of the toughest in the Bible to preach on. Uh, it's because of two reasons. The first reason I find is that this passage we're going to read on today, to me, is one of the most important, one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful pictures of the love of God in our lives. Uh, and so because it is such a powerful, such a beautiful, such an important picture, as a preacher of God's word, I want to do justice to that picture. I want to serve you guys well. That's one reason I find it a bit challenging. The second reason I find that this passage is a bit challenging is because this story we're going to read today is arguably the most famous story Not that Jesus told, but the most famous story ever told. It's because even if you've never gone to a church before, you didn't grow up in a Christian family, there's a very, very good chance that you have heard or read this story before. And the the challenge about it is this, is that many people, because they've heard this story before, they often assume that they know everything there is to learn about the story already. But I'm going to submit to you today, as we get into the story together, is that if you will read this story with fresh eyes, and you will look at the story with me with an open heart. There's going to be a fresh revelation and a fresh understanding of God's love for you that's going to impact your heart this morning. If you believe that, say amen. 
And so let's look at the story together. And I know we don't often do this. You can read God's word sitting. You can read God's word lying on your bed. You can read God's word standing. There, but I want to do this today. Is I'm going to ask all of us, we're going to be reading 20 verses. This is the longest uh, story that Jesus ever tells, 20 verses. And I'm going to invite all of us to stand as the music's playing. We're going to read these verses together as a way to help me preach in this place today. Could you help me read out verses 11 to 32 of Luke chapter 15? And let's read it in a big, loud voice this morning. What does it say? It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning? And before you take your seats, could you get ready to give your neighbor a high five and tell them the title to today's message? The title to today's message is, I'm not okay, but it's okay. Would you turn to your neighbor, give them a high five and say, I'm not okay, but it's okay. Turn to someone else in front of you, behind you. Give them a high five and say, I'm not okay, but it's okay. Please have your seats. Today's message is entitled, I'm not okay, but it's okay. Now, why do I call the message today, I'm not okay, but it's okay? It's because maybe today, the fact is, if you had to peel back all the layers of your life and really look at your life today and be honest with where you're at, is that you would say that you're not really okay. Is that maybe you're here today and you're actually battling depression or you're battling grief because you've lost someone you love. Or maybe you're not okay because there's stress in your life and you don't really know how to figure it out or handle it right now. Maybe the kids are sick, work is crazy. There's a problem in your life that is requiring your attention a lot more than you like it to. Maybe there's frustration in your life and that's why you're not okay. You're frustrated at someone. You're angry at someone. You feel like you're battling demons or problems that seem much, much bigger than you. And you just feel like today you're not that okay if you're honest with yourself. If that's you, then this message 
is for you. This message is called, I'm not okay, but it's okay. See, maybe you're not okay, but it's okay. And I say that not to make light of your situation, but to remind you that you might not be okay, but God is here. And God loves you. And even though you might not be okay, this season of your life may be difficult, but this season is one part of a much greater story that God is writing in and through your life. And so if you are going through a tough time today, you can say, you know, I'm not okay, but it's okay because God is with me. I am not okay, but it's okay because God is going to see me through this time. I'm not okay, but, but it's okay because even when I'm not okay, God is always okay. God is always at his best, even when I'm at my worst. And he will hang on to me for as long as it takes for until I'm okay again, until the season has passed. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place together right now. I might not be okay. But God is always more than okay, and that's why it's okay. Now, what does this have anything to do with the story that we just read? Well, I want you to notice this. See, this story is about a father who, by all accounts, is an incredible father. He is affectionate with his children. He loves his kids. He's emotionally available to them. He provides materially for them. You can tell just from talk of maids and you know, servants and, and you know, hired men and livestock that this is not a poor family that these two sons are a part of. And it's a reminder to those of us who are parents in this place that we are called to be affectionate with our, with our children, to be not just tough but tender as well, that we're called to be good providers for our children, to leave a legacy, hopefully not just for them but even for their children's children, even when we are gone, it's because that's what a good parent does. If you will say amen. But here's the thing is, despite being a wonderful father, this father in the story, is that he has two sons who nonetheless are not okay. Each of them, the older one and the younger one, have issues. Each of them has their own set of hang-ups, insecurities, problems, weaknesses, own share of mistakes. But the fact is this, is that the fact that they're not okay doesn't change the fact that they remain sons in their father's house. The fact that they're not okay doesn't change the fact that their father loves them with all of his heart. And what's the lesson here? It's the first lesson you write down this morning, is that you have a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally. You might not be okay today. This might be a tough season for you. You might even question, does God really love me? Is he really there? I'm here to tell you, you have a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally. In fact, God's love for you and your status as a beloved child of God, it's not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on how you feel. It's not dependent on your mood. It's not dependent even on your character. It's because God's love for you is an unconditional heavenly father love. Amen. Maybe you're here in this place and you didn't grow up with a dad. You always wanted to, but for some reason that dad wasn't there. Maybe your dad was around physically, but he was absent emotionally. And you always wanted to be closer to your dad, but for some reason beyond your control, it just seemed like it never happened. Maybe you felt like your dad's love for you was conditional. That unless you met a whole like list of criteria, that he wouldn't show you his love. Maybe you thought that your dad just wasn't there for you the way you hoped he would be. If that's you in this place, you need to know that you have a heavenly father who loves you unconditionally. 
He is affectionate with you. He is crazy about you. And how do I know that? How do I know that your heavenly father loves you unconditionally? Well, the first is that this story tells us so. The reason why Jesus tells us this story is because he's in fact responding to some criticism that he's received during his ministry. The biggest opponents of Jesus' ministry, they were the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they would, they would say, they would teach people that if you really want to be holy, if you really want to please God, then you don't need to get away from all the sinners in this world. And then they see Jesus, who is this proclaimed son of God, this prophet, this holy man. And he is spending time with the very people that the Pharisees and teachers of law are saying, get away from. He's spending time with prostitutes and tax collectors and people that don't go to the temple to worship because they're too ashamed to go. And, and Jesus, he's hanging out with them. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees and teachers of law are like, what are you doing, Jesus? Aren't you holy? Aren't you, don't you claim to be a prophet? What are you doing? And they treated it as a way to be puzzled, as a way to be disgusted, and as a way to even accuse. Jesus, but Jesus tells a story to show that actually God loves people no matter how far away they are from him. And that's why he tells a story. That's the first reason why we can know that God loves you unconditionally, because no matter how far away you are from him today, he loves you with an unconditional love, and he shows that through this story. The second reason why I know that is because whereas the story we're reading today is a fictional story, it's a parable, it's a short story, but the fact is this, in real life and in real time, 2,000 years ago, when God knew that we were not okay, when God knew that our situation was not okay, when we, like the younger son, ran away from God, did our own thing, and got lost on our own path, separating ourselves from God because of our sin, your heavenly father, my heavenly father, did something to search and to rescue us from our situation when we weren't okay. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He sent Jesus Christ to be the savior that we could never be for ourselves. And he did it to show us that even when you're not okay, it's okay because God loves you with an unconditional love. If you believe that, say amen. And see, through the story that we've read, and through Jesus' death and resurrection, for, for, through these things, we can know Jesus, he shows us that God's love is unconditional. Would you write this down? Because you are loved unconditionally by your heavenly father, you don't need to be perfect in order to be in his house. Because you are unconditionally loved by your heavenly father, you don't need to be perfect in order to be in his house. You know, in the story that Jesus tells both sons are living in their father's house, and both sons have issues. One is very rebellious. That's the younger one. One is very religious. That's the older one. And when I say religious, I don't mean spiritual. What I mean is that he's really into doing things by a certain code and certain rules, and he's really focused on his own efforts, and he thinks, if I can follow these rules better than others, then I'll be rewarded more than others. That's what I mean by religious. And, and see, the, the one is religious, one is rebellious. Both of them are living in the Father's house, and both of them have issues. And in the same way, i got to tell you this, here in this house, don't think that you're the only one who's not okay. Here in this house called Thrive Church, don't think that you're the only one who has issues. Would you tell your neighbor, give him a high five and say, you are not alone. You are not alone. The fact is, is that here at Thrive, we have people who are battling depression. We have people who are battling addiction. We have people who are battling demons. We have people who are battling worry and anxiety in their lives. You are not alone. You might feel like you're the only messed up person, but you're not. The fact is this, in the house of God, this is where God welcomes every person, no matter what their issue is. If you believe that, say amen. And, and so you, at Thrive, you might not be okay, but it's okay. Because God loves you anyway, and we love you anyway. Amen? Amen? You know, if you have issues today, then my suggestion for you is don't run away from God. Run to God. 
See, in the story that we read today, notice that the further away these sons got from their father, the further they were physically or emotionally distant from their father, the more they tried to figure things out for themselves, then the more depressed they became, the more miserable their lives got, the more empty they became. But when they finally went to their father and opened up about what they're struggling with, when they said, I'm not okay, I'm hurting right now, that gave room for the Father to start speaking into their lives. And the same way I'm here to tell you today, if you have issues in your life today, don't run away from God. Run to God. Do what both of these brothers in this story did, is be honest with God about your issues. You can say, God, I'm struggling with this really bad habit. I'm struggling with this really awful thought that I keep having, and I don't know why, and I just ask you today for your help because I don't know what else to do. God, I need you. Be honest with God about your issues. And not only do you want to be honest with God, but since God made us not just for a vertical relationship with him, but he made us for a horizontal relationship with others, then find someone you can be honest with about your struggles. You know, sometimes you'll hear Christians say, oh, I can't be myself with people at church. They'll say that in different churches. They go, oh, I can't be myself. It's because I I feel like I have to wear a mask. I always have to wear a mask. And you ever said that before? Ever thought that before? Have you heard other people say that before? And this is the thing. I think that the, that the more accurate way to think of it is this, is that every one of us has different layers to who we are. It's like we're an onion with different layers. And what most people see is the top layer. It's the most superficial layer. It's the most obvious layer. That's still, that layer is not a mask. That layer is still a part of who you are, but it's the most superficial part of who you are. And the thing is this, is that you are not going to peel every single layer back for every single person to expose the deepest parts of who you are in the church. That's what would be really tiring for you to do if that was the expectation you had of, that every single person in the church needs to understand what I go through and I have to be absolutely 100% transparent with every single person about what I go through then you're going to be really tired and other people are going to be really tired with you because it's an unrealistic expectation. It's an unnecessary expectation. See, you don't need hundreds of people in the church to know what you're going through. What you need is even if you have one person who knows what you're going through, that is a blessing already. Amen. Amen. You write this down. If you have even one person you can be very transparent with concerning your problems, consider yourself blessed. A lot of people don't. In our world, in our city, a lot of people, they don't even have a single person they can talk to. If you have one friend that you can talk to about your issues, about the stuff you're going through that you're not able or that comfortable about talking with anybody else, if you have even one person you can be transparent with, you are blessed. And it might involve, to find that person, it might involve taking a risk and you know, getting out of your shell a little bit. You might not be sure how they're going to respond, but, but you just kind of take a risk and, and you do it wisely, but you take a risk and you share that's what's going on. Because when you do that, it's, it, it, it opens up the door for you to find someone who you can share that with. It might involve not being so polite, not kind of like you know, always thinking, oh, I don't want to bother that person. You know, Oh, that person's too busy. Oh, I, that, that person's too busy. I don't want to bother that person. It's about maybe sometimes just saying, you know what? I need help, and I need it badly, and I, I'm just going to, I need to find someone. You know, I remember this. As I was in grade 12, and uh, I, I was growing my relationship with God, and I was part of this church youth group where we had just graduated from high school, and we are having this event where we're just kind of celebrating graduation, and we're talking about what we're looking forward to. I remember in that graduation party, it was at a house, and, and we were having this uh, open mic session where different people would go up, and they would share something that they're really excited about, or something that, you know, good news. Oh, I'm going to this university, or I'm going to that college, or I'm really excited about this. I'm really thankful for that. And I remember I was grade 12, and I'm like 17, 18 years old. I remember I took the mic, and I was the only person who started talking about my issues. 
about the stuff I was going through. I was, it wasn't the wisest way to do it, but I just did it anyways. And I started talking, and all of a sudden, the mood and the atmosphere went from really joyful and celebratory and light to just really somber and, and really heavy. Talk about JB being a party pooper on that day. And, and I remember at the end of that open mic session, you know, everyone is kind of going upstairs, and they're going to eat food, and I'm, I'm downstairs. I'm just kind of got my head kind of, like, you know, in my, in my hands. And, like, I'm like, what did I just do? I remember almost everybody went upstairs, but there was two people who stayed. Two people who stayed, who sat with me, who prayed with me, who prayed for me. They didn't have a solution to the stuff that I was going through, but I will always appreciate the fact that they were there, just to be there, just to be a support during that time when I wasn't okay. And what I learned from that experience is this, is that not everyone's going to understand what you go through. And you don't need everyone to understand what you go through. But if you have even one person that you can share with in a deep or transparent way, you are very blessed. Amen. Maybe it's your small group leader. Maybe it's a friend in the church. Maybe, if it, it has to be, maybe it's a counselor in your life. And the, the point is this, is find that person so you don't have to go through it alone. So proud of a number of the guys and girls who are in our church who are starting to open up about their issues. Who are starting to, whether it's not, it's not a huge group, but in, maybe in a small group or the friend or the counselor, they're saying, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not okay in this area of my life. I need help in this area of my life. When you do that, you give God room to move in powerful ways. And you can say, I'm not okay, but it's okay. Amen? The fact is, we all have issues, don't we? Every single one of us has issues. No matter how good we might look on the outside, we, all of us you know, have issues. You know, I, I think we try to put our best foot forward here at Thrive. You know, that's why you know, I, I, I try to dress well for you guys. Do I, do I look okay today? Is that okay? Right? And, 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 and the fact is, we all, every single one of us, we have our issues. And, and some of us, our issues are that we are like the rebellious son, that younger son in the story. Some of us, our issues is that we're like the religious older son in the story. And my question for you as we examine the story a little bit more closely is, which son are you? Which son do you relate to more? Is it the younger son or the older son? Let's start with the younger son. See, according to verse 12, the younger son says to the father, he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, the younger son was basically saying to his dad, hey, dad, you know that money that you're supposed to give me when you die? Yeah, that money? Yeah. Can, can you give that to me now? Because I, I, I just got to be frank with you, man. Like, like I, I don't really have much interest in helping with the family business. In fact, I don't really have much interest in living in this house with you guys anymore. In fact, I don't really have much interest in being with you guys anymore. Because the fact is, I've got plans. I've got dreams. I've got goals I want to pursue. I don't want to be with you guys anymore. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't really need this family stuff. I just really want to be on my own. Would you just, I'm not going to tell you to die now. But could you please maybe just give me an advance on what you owe me? Could you please do that? Could you please do that? And see, I, I got to tell you this. I've got two sons. I've got Bradley and Caleb. They've got, there's an older and a younger. And when I read the story, I don't think, oh, yeah, Bradley is the older and Caleb is younger. I don't, I don't think that way. In fact, they're, they're like, God willing, they will never be that way. But the fact is this, is I could tell you from the perspective of a dad, if a son or a child went up to you and they said, hey, you know, dad, you're as good to me as dead. I just want your money. I got, I got plans for my life, and the one complicated thing is that I need money, and the money that I need is in your hands, and I can't get until you die. And, and so can you just maybe give me an advance? When, when you know that someone loves you more for their money than for you, then you know that that is a very hurtful thing. And at that moment when that younger son said that, that was one of the most dishonoring things that that younger son could ever say. And amazingly, amazingly, as much as it broke his heart, this father lets his son have his way. 
respecting his son's freedom to make his own choices, this father ends up selling off his assets. He liquidates his investment portfolio. And when you do that at a, when you do that at a quick pace, when you have to do it like quickly, what that means is you're probably selling things at a loss. You're not making as much money as you could because you're, you're in a rush and you're trying to get this stuff done. And that's exactly what his father does. He, he liquidates his assets. He gives a, a chunk that is owing to his son, to, to him. And when the son gets the money, you can tell that this son, he is physically grown, but emotionally, he's still very immature. And relationally, spiritually, he's still very immature. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says that the younger son gathered all that he had, set off for a distant country, a distant city, and he recklessly spent his money. You know, I could see him you know, going across town to a, a nicer city in that region. He goes to the outlet and he buys all these designer brand clothes that he never wore before. You know, he buys a condo in the nicest area of town. He gets himself a nice car, maybe a Corvette. You know, maybe a Maserati, right? And on the left side of his back bumper, I can see like a Transformers sticker, right? On, on the right side of the bumper, I can see his white and green, you know, N new drivers, you know, sticker. And, you know, I, I can see on the dashboard, he's got, you know, like an air freshener fashion, the image of his favorite Avenger, maybe Captain Marvel or something. And, and, he's, and he's just coasting with sunglasses and driving around city, feeling like he's the man. He goes to his favorite club. He approaches the bar. He says, hey, bartender, hey, Round for everyone on me. Put it on my tab. And you know what? Not just one round. Give everyone three rounds. We're going to go all night, baby. And, and, you know, he, and he's like, you know what? And, I, and I'm like, hey, hey, you guys are, I know we just met, but hey, you guys want to go to Vegas? Man, let's go to Vegas. Yeah, yeah. And don't worry, I'll pay for it all. I'll go. You guys go with me. It's going to be so fun. And they go, they go to some exotic place for some great big vacation. They're in the casinos. They're up late at night drinking, drugging. You know, they got strip clubs going on. They got prostitutes in their room. They got all these things going on. And all of a sudden, you know, this guy is like the man in front of, in, uh, the man of town. And, and people are like, oh, who is this guy? And people are like, oh, like, what does he do? And he will answer by saying, oh, yeah, I'm an investor. You know, yeah, I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm just looking at my options right now. I'm also a philanthropist. I like to help people. Do you have a need? Do you have some issue I can help with? And, you know, he starts to make decision after decision, foolish decision after foolish decision. And then somehow, some way, eventually the money starts to run out. And not, not just that, but this, the, 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 the story goes that there was a severe famine in that town, in that, in that region. That's the equivalent of an economic recession where unemployment is high, real estate is down, you know, where gas prices are way up, where investments are going down the tube, and he's spending a lot more than he's making. And so what does this younger son do? He starts to do the very thing that he got his dad to do. He starts liquidating his assets. You know, he, he goes to, you know, the, the pawn shop with an Xbox or a PS4, and he says, hey, can you guys, you know, can you guys use one of these? I'll sell it to you. You know, and he's like, oh, I've got, I've got, you know, these, these Beats headphones, uh, and he'll maybe put it on Facebook, and he meets people at, you know, he meets people at the Tim Hortons parking lot, and says, oh, hey, I don't just have uh, you know, headphones. I got clothes here. You, you want Boss? You, you want, you want, you want, you want Hugo Boss? You like Hugo Boss? Yeah, I, I got that. You know, I got Coach here. You want anything else? I, I got all this stuff. I, I, did, I just only, only wore it twice. I only wore it twice. You can have it for this cost. And what does he do? He's liquidating his assets, and and, and not, and, but still he can't pay his bills. So eventually he puts his car up on Craigslist. And he posts Maserati for sale, almost brand new. You know, Captain Marvel air fresher included. We'll take best offer. And now he's taking the bus. You know, and still he can't make his mortgage payments. So eventually the bank evicts him. After notice, after notice, they finally kick him out of his place. And But he's too ashamed to tell anyone that this entrepreneur has gotten onto the streets. And so he just doesn't tell anyone. And he, he tries to, to, to just hide in different places where he can stay. None of his friends are looking for him. His so-called friends, because all those 
friends were in it for the money instead of in it for him. And so when they found out there's no more money there, they ran off as well. And now eventually he decides, you know what, maybe I need to look for work. And without a proper resume, with no experience under his belt, the only work he can find is on a pig farm. And, and you got to understand this. It's for a Jewish boy who grew up being taught, you're not supposed to touch pigs. You're not supposed to eat pigs. This is as bad as it gets. And he's not eating right. He's getting thin. You know, he's, not, he, he's, just, he's just looking bad. He's not healthy. He looks at the pods that the pigs are eating, and he thinks to himself, I can't believe the pigs are eating better than me. And then while he's on this farm, for a moment, he has a glimmer of hope when he thinks about his dad. And he thinks to himself, you know what? The last time anyone was really sincerely nice to me was my dad. It was, it was when I was home. It wasn't here. It was my dad who was nice to me. And, and he thinks to himself, but, like, I've screwed things up. Like, I, I've hurt him. I turned my back on him, literally. I, like, wasted his money. Like, I, 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 I showed him that his money means more to me than him. Like, how am I going to face him ever again? But then he thinks to himself, you know, like, at least he's got hired men, and, and those hired men, they, they eat okay, and maybe, maybe, you know, I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. I've lost that right. I've lost that privilege. I've lost that title. But maybe if I just go back and just tell him that I've really messed up, that I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against him, and I've sinned against my family, maybe, just maybe, I can go back, and he'll take me in as, like, a worker. And, like, I'll just work for him. Maybe, maybe, and maybe even that would be better than what I have right now. And so he decides when he comes to his senses, the Bible says, that he's going to take that long walk home. Not sure what his dad would do. Not sure if his dad would accept him or reject him. Not sure if his dad would disown him or actually receive him. And in fact, there's good reason to not be sure because I don't know if you know this, but in Deuteronomy 21, there's a verse that says that if a Jewish man has a stubborn and rebellious son, his parents could take him into the public square and with witnesses stone him to death. And, uh, you know, that was in extreme, extreme situations. Some of the parents in this place will go, can I still use that? You know, you know maybe, maybe like, no, no, please don't use that. Instead, listen to what the father does. See, see this, this son, he's, he's on his way back home. He's taking the long way back home, rehearsing his speech, rehearsing his lines about God. Like, Father, I'm sorry. I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And as he's rehearsing the speech on the other side of town, there you find his dad. And the father is there. And I could just imagine that, you know, every morning while everyone else is eating breakfast, the father is just on the terrace, and he's just watching, and he's looking. And it's been like a year since he's seen his son. He can't, he can't, like, he, he tried calling before, but he would never pick up, and he'd never answer. His voicemail is full. Nowadays, when he calls, it's out of service. He doesn't know what happened. He emails, but he never replies. He doesn't know what's going on. You know, he doesn't have Facebook. He hasn't used that. And, and so, and, and so he, all he's left to do is to wonder and to worry. And just the, the whispers that he hears from his servants is that he's not doing well, that, that, that sometimes he's on the streets, and sometimes he's overdosing, and sometimes he's just, you know, in a bad place, and he starts to cause him to panic, and all he can do is he can, all he can do is pray and, and, and hope that his son is okay. And so just every day, just as a habit, because he doesn't know what else to do, while everyone else is eating breakfast, he just stands at the terrace, he just looks. And he's just like, he doesn't know what else to do, he just looks. And, and you know, after a while, sometimes he forgets why he's there, because it's just, it's, it's just nothing ever happens. But one day, one day, he's standing at the terrace, he's looking out, and all of a sudden he sees a shape that looks really familiar. And he's like, huh. And it's, it's, it's a shape that walks in a way that's very familiar to him. And he looks a little thinner than he remembers him to be. But he feels like, 
I know that son. I, I know I know that guy. I know that shape. And he's like, hey guys, he's here. He's here. Here. And and and, and he goes down. And and you know, and the Bible says that he didn't just walk over. He didn't drive over. He ran. He ran over. He says, the ver- verse 20 says, it filled with compassion. He ran to his son. And you got to understand this. And back in, Je- in Jesus' time, back in Jewish culture, if you were a, a, a dignified Jewish man, you would not run. You don't run. If you're a Jewish man, you got some pride on you, you don't run because you've got these long flowing robes. And if you ran, that meant that you have to kind of do this really weird skirt pull, you know, and you're, and you're, and you're running and people see your undergarments and it just looks weird. It doesn't look dignified at all. So people didn't run back then. The elder statesmen didn't run back then, but he didn't care. He's just like, my son is back. And so he runs with all that he has. He might even stumble over himself and lose a slipper from time to time, but he keeps on running because his, his son is home. And when he gets to him, he doesn't slap him on the face. Instead, he embraces him, and he kisses him, and he hugs him, and just goes to show that God, he is tender, and he's affectionate with you and with me. The son, he tries to get his speech out going, like, Dad, I'm not okay. I'm sorry, but I'm not okay. And I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. And before he can finish the speech, he's just like, don't worry, son, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just, it's, it's all right. You came home, and that's all that matters. It, you came home, and you're safe, and that's the most important thing. It's okay. I know, I know, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and they, they kiss, they hug, they embrace. And, and, and this is the thing, is that the father, he had every right to punish his son and to take his son's life away. But instead, what you see is that this father decides instead to restore his son's life back to him. And you know what he does in verse 22? What does the father do? He says, hey, put the best robe on him. Scholars say that that was very likely his own robe. His own robe was the best robe on him. And so he said, yeah, put my robe on my son. It's a reminder to us that when we were stained by sin, our Heavenly Father gave us his robe of righteousness so that we could wear it to cover our shame. You know, the Father also, he says, he put a ring on his finger. And you know, back then, you know, the ring that he's talking about is very likely a family signet ring. Wearing that ring meant that you belonged to a certain family. Wearing that ring meant that you had a certain identity in a group. Wearing that ring meant you had a certain amount of authority. And this younger son, when he left home, he probably had one of those rings, but somewhere in the process he either lost it or he sold it. It just goes to show that when we run away from God, it's the quickest way to lose your identity. When you run away from God, it's the quickest way to forget who you are. And he's just sold out. He sold out his identity and he lost that ring and he doesn't have that ring anymore. He's got no more identity and his father comes and he says, put a new ring on his finger. That was basically him saying, I want to give you a new identity, son. I want you to know that you still belong here, that you are still a member of this family and you always will be. So put that ring on your finger. And he says, you know, don't just, that, don't look at it. Look at what's, what's up with your feet, man. What's going on? And see, back then you got to understand this, is that back in Jesus, this time, you could tell whether a person was slave or free by looking at their feet. If they were barefoot, you were, they were very likely a slave. But if they were wearing sandals, that suggested that they were free. And for some reason, this son, this younger son, did not have shoes anymore. He had, sand, he had sandals, but he lost them maybe along the way back home. It just didn't work for him anymore. And he just said, I'm just going to walk in bare feet. And that's what he did. And, 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 and the father goes to him and says, no, hey, guys, give him some shoes. Give him some sandals because my, my, my son is not a slave. My son is free. Amen. 
and you know, finally the father says, and kill the fattened calf for him, and let's have a celebration. See, the fattened calf back then was reserved for the biggest of celebrations. It's for a wedding. It's for a bar mitzvah. When a boy turns 13 years old, you're considered an adult by then, and they have this big celebration. They, they kill a fattened calf, and that's what he did for his son because his son came back home. And, you know, if you're wondering why does Jesus go all this way to tell this story, it's to tell you that that's God's love for you and for me. That's how he loves you. He's the, he's the God. When we had totally dishonored him, he still ran after us. He put a new ring on your finger. He gave you a new identity. He put a robe of righteousness on you. He put new shoes on your feet to let you know that you are not a slave anymore, but you are free. He did all those things, and he killed not just a fattened calf, but he sacrificed his precious son, the Lamb of God, for our sins. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. It's a picture of God's amazing love for us. Would you give God a big shout in this place because he loves you? But see, here's the thing. That's not the end of the story. Because meanwhile, while the celebration's going on, the older son approaches the house just as the party's about to start. And he's in the driveway, and he's hearing music in the backyard. And he's like, what's this? What's going on? And then one of the servants is like maybe pushing a cart of food. And he's like, yeah, 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 uh, your, your brother's back. Your brother's home, safe and sound. We killed the fattened calf. Yeah. And, and, and he goes, hey, come in, come in. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going in. I'm not going. And another servant comes, hey, come in, come in, come in. Hey, yeah, 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 come in, come in. And, and he goes, no, no, I'm not going. And for some reason, minutes go by. You know, maybe an hour goes by, and still he's just standing outside. And finally, the father comes out. And he's like, hey, son, are you okay? I'm not okay. No, I'm not okay. He's back? And you kill the fattened calf for him? Seriously? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, wh- who does that? Like, he totally dishonored you, Dad. He took your money. He ran off. He wasted it. He treated you like he's dead. He left all the work for me to do, and this is how you treat him? You, you give him the fountain calf? You, th- that's how you treat those who hate you, and, and that's how you treat those who love you? It's like, you never gave me a fountain calf. You didn't even give me a goat, and, and this is how you treat me? I've never disobeyed your orders. I've always done what you want me to do. You know, I, I've always slaved for you year after year and did even more work than what this guy had to do, even more work than I had to do, and you never did that for me? I'm not okay. I'm not okay. What, like, like, seriously, are you okay? This doesn't make any sense. And you know know what? At that point, you got to understand what's going on in the older son's mind. You see, the older son was very religious. And see, by religious, I mean that this older son lived by this idea that if I follow the rules and I do it better than anyone else, then I should be rewarded. But in the process of working so hard to follow these rules, in the process of putting so much stock in how much better he was than anybody else, a few things happened to him. One is that this older son started to feel very self-righteous and very full of himself. Another thing that happened to him is that he became very judgmental of others, especially his younger brother. He lacked compassion for him. And you can even tell that. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28 with me. Read it with me, a big loud voice. What does it say? It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, notice he doesn't even say his name, doesn't even say my brother. He says, dad, this son of yours. It's as if he's saying, you know, he, doesn't, he has nothing to do with me. He has everything to do with you, Dad. It's your fault. 
It's foolish dad, foolish son. That's what it is. This son of yours has squandered your property. The prostitute comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. See, what's going on is that because this older son was so focused on being religious, and by religious, I don't mean it in a good way. I mean it in a way of he's so focused on how much better he is than everyone else. He's so focused on obeying and following his rules and trying to do it better than everyone else so he could be rewarded that not only did he become very self-righteous, not only become very critical and judgmental of others, not only did he start blaming people when things didn't go his way, but it did one more thing, is that he became a very thankless, thankless person. And you know, that's what religion, being very religious, does to a person. It makes you thankless. It makes you self-righteous. It makes you very full of yourself. It makes you very prideful and critical and judgmental of other people. And I got to tell you this. Jesus didn't come to give us a religion where we take so much pride in ourselves. Jesus came to give us a relationship with God where we experience God's undeserved mercy and grace, and it changes us from the inside out. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Look at verse 31 with me. Could you read it with me in a big loud voice? One, two, three, it says, My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. See, the father says, when this older son is just having a fit and going, I'm not okay, this is not okay, he says, hey, son, do you realize that everything I have is yours? See, as the firstborn son in the family under Jewish law, you ought to realize that the older son was actually entitled to twice as much as any other son in the family. He was entitled to a double portion. And so if there were two kids in the family, he would get two-thirds. The younger son gets one-third. And if there was siblings in the family, he would still get two-thirds, and the one-third would be divided among the younger sons and siblings. And, and, and see, this is the thing. You know, it's, it's because the older son, the firstborn son, was known as the patriarch. He was going to take care of the extended family. He needed the extra resources. It was also a place of honor for that firstborn son. And the father is reminding his older son, that's you, man. Son, that's you. Everything I have now is yours. All the stuff that your brother took, it's gone. It's his. But everything else, it's yours now. It's all yours. You have twice as much as your brother. And also, not just that, not only is everything that I have yours, but he says one more thing. He says, you are always with me. Verse 31. You are always with me. What does that mean? In other words, he's saying, son, whether you know it or not, when you are out in the fields or you're sleeping in your room, or you're out with your friends, or you're just doing whatever, you're always on my heart. I never stop thinking about you. You you are my pride and joy. I will never, never stop thinking about you. That's how much you mean to me. You think that my heart has always been with that younger son? It's not the case. You are always with me. Everywhere I go, even if I tried, I could never shake the thought of you out of my mind because that's how much I love you. That's a father's love for his son. You are always with me. And no matter what you do, if you fail, if you succeed, if you're at your best or at your worst, I will always love you. You are always with me. Even if one day something will happen, you will always still be with me. That's how much I love you. And see, somehow, someway, the, the older son had forgotten all that. Somehow, someway, the older son forgot just how good he had it. And instead, he became bitter and entitled and envious and complaining and negative about all of it. And, you know, if I were to summarize the differences between these two sons, the rebellious younger son and the older religious son, I would summarize it this way, is that, you know, you've got a little chart here. The rebellious son, he was all about self-expression. 
I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what else one says. I don't care who, what, what other people are doing. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's all, it's all about self-expression. Me being me. Me being true to myself. I don't care what else other people think. I'm just going to do what I want to do. The religious son was, you know what, let's, I'm, I'm always going to do what's always been done. Value tradition. Another one is that the rebellious son, he wanted to break rules. He was not a conformist. And so it's like, like when he sees everybody doing it a certain way, he's like, you know, I've got to do it differently. Just, just for the sake of it. Because, oh, yeah, like, I just, I'm just not like everyone else. I'm just going to do things differently. Maybe he compares himself a lot. He, he, and for whatever reason, because of pride, because of an inferior complex, he just feels like, you know, I just need to do my own thing. And that's what he is. He's a nonconformist. The religious son, he's the one who conforms. And he keeps all the rules. And he keeps them better than everyone else. And he looks down on those who can't do it. That, that's the, the religious son. The rebellious son, he's irresponsible. The religious son, he's very responsible. He's so responsible to the point where he puts, he makes p- other people feel guilty for not being as responsible. The rebellious son, he's a risk taker. Religious son, he avoids risk. The, relig- the rebellious son, he's lazy. The, rebe- the religious son, he's a hard worker. You know, the rebellious son, he sins in very visible ways. All you have to do is look on his Instagram and you see all the stuff he's up to. And, but then, well, on the, but the religious son, you don't, you don't see anything. Not at first. Because all the stuff that's messed up is on the inside. It's pride. It's a critical spirit. It's this judgment that he has about everyone. And see, the rebellious son, he uses people. The religious son, he judges people. See, that's, that's the difference between the rebellious son and the religious son. And my question for you today, as we end off this morning, is which son do you relate to more? Are you more like the rebellious son, all about self-expression, doing your own thing? Or are you like the religious son? who's all about, i, I got to follow the rules, I'm going to follow it better than anyone else, and everyone's going to see how good I am. See, this is the thing. This story is not saying that the rebellious son is better than the religious son. This story is not saying that the religious son is better than the rebellious son. This story is saying that both sons had issues. And if there's any son that we want to be like, it's the third son who's telling the story. His name is Jesus Christ. The son of God, the son of man, Jesus, who on one hand was secure in the father's love, who appreciated being close to his heavenly father. And because of that, he felt this holy and joyful responsibility to do his best in whatever he would do. To be faithful, not out of obligation, but out of love. To be faithful, and as a result, he was full of joy. And I believe that God here, whether you relate to the rebellious son or to the religious son, that God made you to be like his son. His name is Jesus. How do we get there? Let me end by telling you this, is if you relate to the rebellious younger son, there's a couple things that you can do. Number one is this. Realize that you won't find the satisfaction and the peace that you're looking for apart from your Heavenly Father. See, what you think is going to make you happy by breaking the rules, by doing your own thing, by being this nonconformist and you know, having you know, just your own way of doing things all the time, that kind of high or that kind of freedom or that kind of happiness that you think you're going to get is nothing compared to the joy of being close to the one who loves you with an unconditional love. It's nothing compared to it. The blessing, the peace that so deeply fill your heart when you are living in the Father's house, close to your Father, there's nothing that compares to that. You can say better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere when you are close to your Heavenly Father. And you don't have to live empty on your own. You, know, you don't have to be someone who keeps on doing their own, your, your own thing, your own way all the time and, le- and be left miserable, empty, hungry like this younger son did. You can go back to your heavenly father. And you do that by doing the second thing is receive God's forgiveness and grace. See, when God had every right to punish us, to disown us, to take our lives away, instead with compassion, 
with mercy, with forgiveness, God gave us back our lives. He restored us, restored us, and then some. He gave us what we lost, and he added to it. That's the amazing Heavenly Father that you have. You might not be okay, but because you have a Heavenly Father who loves you that way, you can say, it's going to be okay. You can just come just as you are and receive God's forgiveness. That's if you're the rebellious younger son. If you relate to the older religious son, here are a couple things that you can do. That instead of envying what others have and focusing on what you don't have, realize that your heavenly father has already given you all the rights of a favored child in his family. Is that you're not just any ordinary child in God's house. You are a favored child. You have a double portion of God's blessing on your life. You have God's presence. You have God's pleasure. You have God's authority on your life because you're a child of God. It's what the Word of God says. That It says in Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are now a full-fledged member of God's family, a favored son, a favored daughter, and every blessing is already yours. Everything God has is already yours. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's for you. If you are like that older religious son, you got to realize life is good because God is good and he has blessed you. And the second thing I encourage you to do is realize that you yourself as an older rebellious son or an older religious son need mercy for your mistakes too. And so because you're not perfect, be compassionate and merciful to the people who aren't perfect, who disappoint you from time to time. You know, sometimes you're going to find that a religious son becomes so disillusioned by him being so religious, he'll turn into a rebellious son. And then sometimes rebellious son will be so feeling so shameful, so guilty about what they've done. They become really religious, think they have to earn their way back to God. You don't have to do any one of those things. You can come back to God simply because he loves you with an unconditional love. Amen. Lastly today, for those of you who are here and you're exploring faith, you're exploring Christianity, you may have thought this to yourself, and maybe you're even surprised that you're here this morning. But you say stuff like, you know, I can't believe in Christianity because Christians are hypocrites. Christians, I know, they're such hypocrites. They believe in God. They say they believe in God, but look at what they say to one another. Look at the way that they, you know, the stuff they post on Facebook. Look at, like, you know, look at the way they do their business. And, you know, and if, if you are one of, the, one of the people who has been disillusioned or hurt by someone who claimed to be a Christian, then uh, there's a couple things that I'd like to say to you. The first is I'm so, so sorry. And on behalf of that person, on behalf of Christians everywhere, I apologize for that person. Because the fact is this, is that the reason why we all call ourselves Christians is not because we think we're perfect. It's not because we even think we're good in any way. The thing that binds all Christians together is simply the belief that we are sinners who are broken, who need a Savior. And that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. And so if you see or meet a Christian who is far from perfect, that should make sense. It shouldn't surprise you. Because Christianity is not just for the person who gets it all right. It's for the person who's not okay. It's for you and for me. It's for the ordinary person who's going through struggles, who tries but fails, who wants to do right but sometimes doesn't. It's for every single one of us. And you may even find, for those of you who are critics of Christians because they're such hypocrites, is that maybe we're all hypocrites who need a Savior. And the fact is this, 
is that it's really true that the more you grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, the more you become like him. Maybe what you met was just a very immature Christian. The fact is that, you know, it doesn't take anything to be saved, to be forgiven. That forgiveness is free. That love is unconditional. But there is a wide spectrum of Christians. Some are very, very immature, even after going to church for years. Never discipline themselves to read their Bible. Just way too into their feelings. Way too much worshiping their feelings and their emotions such that they never bothered to build a habit of a time with God or of church life or confession or repentance. They never really did any of that. And so as a result, they're still a baby Christian. And, and it's just unfortunate. It happens. It happens. Praise God. No one like this is here, right? Yeah? And the fact is this, is that, may, that, is that there's also, on the other hand, great Christians who love Jesus and who are starting to develop habits that help them become more like him. And you know what? I want to encourage everyone here at Thrive is that because the world is watching, not because we're earning God's love, but simply in response to his incredible love, let's not stay here. Let's not stay in baby Christian mode. Let's move on to become more like Jesus. Let's draw close to Jesus and let his life change our life. Let his love make us loving. Let his kindness make us kind. Let his smile cause us to smile. Let his presence cause us to give gifts. Let his love change our lives. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to lead you in a chance where you can pray and respond to God today. Today, we've been talking about the most famous story Jesus ever told about two sons. And maybe today, you relate to one of those sons. And I want to pray for you if that's the case. It's those of you who relate to the rebellious younger son. And uh, that's those of you who realize that you really need God's forgiveness. Maybe it's something where you've never been to church before. You never heard that God loves you. But you, when you look at your life, you realize that it was like you ran away from God and did your own thing. And as a result, you're feeling pretty lost, miserable, and empty because of it. And you realize that though you don't deserve his forgiveness, you want his forgiveness. And you want to receive his forgiveness so that you can have a relationship with him. Jesus died on the cross to make that possible. It's not because we are good or have any way of earning it. It's simply because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me so we could be forgiven. If you realize today that you need God's forgiveness and you want to come back to him today, you want to come to him for the first time because you've never done that before, I'm going to invite you just to lift your hand to God today and let the height of your hands reflect how much you need Jesus today. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need his forgiveness today. Would you just lift your hand to God right now as your response to God? And we're just going to pray with you and for you this morning, believing that as you pray with faith, that heaven is going to meet your heart. Let's just pray this together right now. You say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank you so much. For loving me unconditionally. How you died on the cross to pay for my sins. How you rose again to give me life. I come before you and I open up my heart and say, Please forgive me every of every sin. I confess I've messed up. I've been far away from you. But thank you that you died to bring me back to you. So I come to you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.